Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. So today we're continuing in our series, You Have Heard That It Was Said, But I Tell You. Really in this series, what we've been doing is we've been looking at a better interpretation of the scriptures. We really could say it like this, better theology through the eyes and the life of Jesus. And so if you haven't had a chance to uh, hear the first couple weeks, you can go ahead and go to the podcast, which is on iTunes, or you could go to faithcity.tv, go to Michigan campuses and just select messages. And it's right there. So I encourage you to do that. But today, if you want a title, I'm going to continue in this idea. And here's the title for today. Are you on the list? Are you on the list? You know, years ago when I was touring in bands, we had something called a guest list. How many have heard of a guest list? You know, it's that famous list. We've seen it in movies and on TV. People are in line to, you know, go to the club or get into the dance club or whatever. And they come up and they say, hey, my name's on the list. They're like, give us your name. And of course, they give the name. They're like, back of the line, because your name is not on the list. Well, for us, the venue would many times allow us to have you know, so many people per band member that could be on this special list so that when they came to the show, all they had to do was give their name. And guess what? They got in scot-free, completely free of charge. Now, they were in, but those around them who weren't on the list were out. See, that's really how it works. I remember personally being on the other side of the guest list thing. You know, I'd be in line, I'd go into a concert and I'd hear the person in front of me say, hey, uh, I'm on the guest list. And they'd say, well, what's your name? And they'd give them their name. And of course, they were on the list. And they're like, oh, okay, you're, you're free to go in. And I'm thinking, man, I wish I was on that list. Now, obviously, that is a really small thing, but it makes sense, right? But in reality, think about this. We do it all the time. We do this very list thing all the time. We choose who is in and who is out, who is in our circle of friends, or in our clubs, or even in our day-to-day activities. That's just how we do life. Now, I'm not saying that there's necessarily anything wrong with this idea, but here's the thing. What is our attitude or reason for doing this? That's really the question. So today, I want to take a journey, once again, like we've been doing the last couple weeks, from the Old Testament, in fact, we're going to start in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and then look at some things that Jesus shows us. So let's look at Genesis chapter 9. Sorry, I'm breathing so heavy. My God, relax. So let's look at Genesis chapter 9. Now, in Genesis chapter 9, in this portion of the story, we see this character named Noah. How many are familiar with Noah? We've heard of Noah in the ark, Noah in the boat. Now, this is right after the flood story. So literally, Noah, you know, he gets off the boat, and then we see this God character. And he has told Noah and his sons to be fruitful and multiply. He's told them to rule over the animals and the earth. Sound familiar? Kind of reminds us of the creation story. In other words, he's saying, listen, everything's fresh and it's new, so let's do things right. Well, let's look at verse 20 here of Genesis chapter 9. 
It says, then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. Now, when I was reading this, I thought, wow, this is interesting. God tells him to be fruitful, to multiply, to take dominion of the earth, to, you know, do what he needs to do in this fresh new start. And the first thing he does, he begins farming and he plants a vineyard. Why? Verse 21 tells us, he drank of the wine and became drunk. (laughs) Now, the first time that it really clicked when I read this, I'm like, wait a minute, how bad was that boat ride? That the first thing he does when God says to be fruitful and multiply, the first thing he does is become a farmer and grow a vineyard. Do you know how long it takes to grow a vineyard? Right? To actually be able to get enough grapes to make enough wine. So he set out on this task. I don't know if you find that funny, but I did. He sets out on this task to farm, put a vineyard in. And it says he drank of the wine and became drunk. And look at this, uncovered himself inside his tent. In other words... He got stone drunk, blacked out, naked. Okay, verse 22. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Jepheth took a garment and laid it upon their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father and their faces. Now catch this. And their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. So obviously there's something going on here. There's more to the story than, oops, I saw, you know, dad naked and drunk. And the brother said, well, we're going to go in and cover him up. There's something going on here. Look at this, verse 24. When Noah awoke from his wine, not his nap, (laughs) but his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. So he said, now listen to this, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers. So look what Noah does. First of all, Noah's the one at fault, I would think. He got drunk. He got so drunk that he ended up being naked, just laying there. But because his son saw him, he cursed his son's son. This is powerful. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. Wow. So in other words, he's saying, My other son Shem... His nephew, Canaan, will be his servant. And look, at he goes on. May God enlarge Japheth, that's his other son, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. This is crazy. Now, just so we understand, this wasn't simply cursing at him or cussing him out in anger. In the ancient world, cursing was a really, really big deal, especially from the father. It's, it's way more than just words here. It was about your father's favor, your father's blessing, your father's validation. I want you to get a feel for this. To be cursed was devastating because it stuck with you. It haunted you. It hung over your life. So think about this. Ham's son Canaan was cursed, which meant that Canaan's sons were cursed beginning with his oldest son, Sidon. Say Sidon with me. So Sidon, the great-grandson of Noah, it turns out, had a number of sons, so many that Sidon went on to become the father of a nation. And it's a nation, by the way, that's mentioned again and again in the Bible. So a couple interesting facts about Sidon is, first of all, they were glass manufacturers. They were really skilled at making glass. Also, they specialized in this purple dye. 
Uh, they were located right on a port, right by the water, the Mediterranean Sea. And so they would take the small shell of the, it's called the Murex trunculus, which is a snail. They would take that shell and then they would break it in order to extract the pigment that was so rare it became the mark of royalty. It was this purple dye. Also, today, it's still in Lebanon, the city of Sidon, and it's the third largest city in Lebanon. But going back to the Bible, in Judges chapter 10, we see that the Sidonians conquer and oppress the Israelites. Now think about this. From the time of Noah to his son Ham and then his son Canaan and his son Sidon, we suddenly see this nation arise who eventually conquer and oppress the Israelites. It's interesting to note how it starts with a father cursing his son and then the wound festers to the point where just a few generations later, the son's nation is oppressing the father's nation. Man, this is crazy. Can you see how if a wound from a father isn't dealt with and eventually healed and brought to wholeness, it really affects more than just the person who was originally wounded? I mean, think about this. Here's a question. Why are these two nations at war? The answer? Because a father cursed a son. And think about this, how is that any different than today? We're still telling the same stories. We're still working through the same pain. It's like in thousands of years, some things have changed, and yet some have not. Now here's some more facts about the Sidonians. In 1 Kings, we see that King Solomon marries several Sidonian women, but it didn't go well. They lead him to worship their goddess, Ashtoreth. And then in 1st and 2nd Kings, the Israelite king Ahab, familiar with Ahab? You, you familiar with the, the woman he marries, Jezebel? She was a Sidonian princess. And she turns out to be some big trouble. trouble. In fact, the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, they predict terrible things for the Sidonians. You, I want you to see this rift. I want you to see this, what this curse has caused. They tell them things like, you need to be silent and ashamed. These are the prophecies from the Lord, mind you. Be silent and ashamed. That they'll find no rest because of all the wrong that they've done. They talk about the Sidians, or Sidonians going down with the slain in disgrace. Not very nice, Right? And so there's this animosity, there's this issue going on, there's this turmoil going on between these two nations. Are you seeing this? The Sidonians, we could say, are the bad guys in the story. They're the evil empire, the oppressors next door. These are familiar stories for us in history, right? Now I want us, are we getting the feel for what happens here? This all started with a curse from Noah because he got drunk and ended up naked. Or we could say naked, right? And so this curse goes on for generations and generations. And now let's fast forward to the time of Jesus. So you had generations of animosity against the Sidonians build up right into the first century. To the point where many of the Jews, they wouldn't even dare to go to Sidon or even talk with someone who was from Sidon. Now I know, what I don't want to do today is I don't want to... Um, this isn't anti-Semitic. This isn't against the Jews. This is what they learned. This is what they were taught. This is how they were brought up. Uh, like many of us, hello, 
People say racism's dead. I'm like, look around you. It's happening all the time, right? It's just hard sometimes for me as a white male to maybe see it. But I have to dig a little deeper and go, wow, there it is. I see it. It's crystal clear. We need to deal with this. We need to stand up for those who are being oppressed. We need to stand up for those who are being put down. Can I get an amen? That's the kingdom. That's how Jesus, when he came to this earth, he always stood up for those who were oppressed. He always stood in the gap for those who needed help, right? So we see this animosity. They didn't even want to be around these people from Sidon. This prejudice went all the way back to the story about Noah. And we all know when bigotry and hatred have generations to fester, it becomes very, very toxic. See, we become entrenched in those ways of thinking. So that was the common belief among Jesus's people. We're the faithful, we're the chosen, we're God's loved ones, we're his favorite, we're in. Enemies like the Sidonians are out. We're on God's side, they're not. We could say it like this, we're on the list, baby. We have a free ride in because we is on the list. Can you see the attitude here? But then something monumental happens. In the book of Mark, chapter 7, look at where Jesus goes. Verse 24. It says, from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and where? Sidon. Jesus went to where no one else would go. Think about this. And look at the next line. And he entered a house. He even entered a house. And look at this. And wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. Why did Jesus not want anyone to know it? Because he knew the animosity. He was going to bring healing and wholeness like he did everywhere he went to someone in Sidon. I believe sometimes he was called specifically to certain people. He was doing this on purpose and he's like, listen, I don't want to cause a big ruckus, but he knew deep down it was going to. So Jesus went to Sidon. In the Gospel of Matthew, it's wild. There's this whole story and it says that he was amazed by the Sidonians' faith. What? What? Jesus, you're talking about the enemy here. You're talking about the Sidonian. In fact, I love this here in Luke chapter 4. We'll start with verse 22. A couple weeks ago, and you can get on the podcast and listen or on the website. We talked about this point where Jesus came to his hometown and he went to temple. That was a normal thing they did. And they would have years in advance, they would have planned out which scroll and which portion of a scroll would be read. It wasn't like they had a Bible. They They didn't have an iPhone with U version on it, right? They had scrolls, and they may have only had certain scrolls, maybe scrolls from the Torah, the prophets, uh, maybe the Psalms, the Proverbs. But Jesus was given the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads the scroll of Isaiah, and then he cuts out the part about vengeance, which is really interesting. And then he sits down and he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Well, continuing that story in verse 22, it says, all who were there watching and listening were surprised at how well he spoke. They also said, Isn't this Joseph's son, the one we've known since he was a youngster? He answered, I suppose you're going to quote the proverb, Doctor, go heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we heard you did in Capernaum. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus is getting pretty pretty riled up here. Let me tell you something. He says, no prophet is ever welcomed in his hometown. Isn't it a fact that there were many widows in Israel at the time of Elijah during that three and a half years of drought when famine devastated the land. So he's telling a story here. They all know who the prophet Elijah is, right? 
and there was this, this three and a half year famine and there were widows all through Israel, but nobody took care of the prophet. But look at this. But the only widow to whom Elijah was sent was Sarepta in Sidon. Jesus is going to Messon right now. Look what else he says. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one cleansed was Naaman the Syrian. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's commending people who weren't on the list. The enemy, the hated, the other. Do you see this? Look at the response. That set everyone in the meeting place seething with anger. Kind of like today. You mentioned a politician's name. People go to seething with anger. I'm just trying to be real. See, we as a church, we've we got to get out of this. Listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't vote. I'm not saying you shouldn't be aware of what's going on. But I'm telling you what, the kingdom is so much larger than the United States and our government. Do you hear me? We are certainly blessed to have the freedom we have. But the gospel should transcend boundaries, borders. It should transcend governments. If you're truly preaching the gospel, I have missionary friends. They said, you know what? There's people who come in and they, they, they're good people and, and they're preaching a message and it would go really well in the United States, but it just doesn't compute here. See, the gospel is anything that computes everywhere you go, right? So it's not like down with America. No, we're, we're blessed, and we're blessed to be a blessing to other nations, but sometimes we, we get so wrapped up in our stuff that we forget about the world around us, and then we start defending things as believers and forget that, wait a minute, you're part of the kingdom. Does that make sense? So that said, everyone in the meeting place, seething with anger. Look at this, they threw him out banishing him from the village. This is his hometown. And then took him to a mountain cliff at the edge of the village to throw him to his doom. They were ready to kill Jesus because all he did was he commented gracefully towards those they considered the other, the ones who weren't on the list. It's awfully quiet this morning. And then in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is going through the towns of Israel and the people from his own tribe are rejecting him and refusing to respond to his miracles. And look what he says to them. Matthew 11, verse 20, he says, Then Jesus denounced the cities where he had worked most of his miracles because they had not changed the way they thought and acted. That's the word repentance. In Greek, it's metanoia. It's changing your mind. Jesus came to change your mind. He says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In a further portion of scripture, he says, in fact, the kingdom of God is within you. Right? We think it's far and away. It's in you, so let heaven out. That's what I got to say. But he says, repent. And we hear that, put an A on the end, repent. And we come down to an altar and we're like groveling and hoping God's okay with us, but that's not what the word means. We've twisted it into this word so we can manipulate and control people so they'll do what we want them to do. Repent means metanoia, to change your mind. And what happens when you change your mind? Your mind is your, your, your what? Your heart. Your heart changes and then you go a different direction. See, you can sit up here and point fingers all day long and tell them what they need to do, but until the heart changes, it doesn't matter. Right? People convinced against their will are of the same opinion still. I didn't write that, but man, it, it works. 
right? Because our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. What happens is when, we, when true repentance happens is we change our mind about ourselves. We change our mind about who God is. We change our mind about others. We change our mind about who truly is a friend and an enemy. And eventually, you no longer have enemies. I know that's hard, hard to believe. But we see Jesus didn't have any enemies. He went to Sidon, the place that no Jew would go, and blessed people in Sidon. So Jesus says this. He says, how horrible it will be for you, Cherazin. I don't know, it's some Hebrew word. How horrible it would be for you, Bethesda, if the miracles worked in you had been worked in Tyre and where? Sidon, they would have changed the way they thought and acted long ago in sackcloth and ashes. In other words, he's saying, you guys can't even see what's in front of you. You can't even see the kingdom. Jesus told Nicodemus, in order to see the kingdom, you must be born again. What does that mean? According to the Jews at the time, being born again meant to change your mind. Gentiles would come in and they'd say, we want to become Jews. They'd say, you have become born again. We made it into a religious term. It was a Jewish term, born again. Jesus said, you can't see what's right in front of you until you change your mind. This is huge. That's why Paul writes in Romans 12 too, he says, you are transformed, literally transfigured like Jesus was on the mountain in front of the disciples. You are transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. See, it's all right here. And so Jesus came to change our minds. But look what he's saying. He says, I can guarantee that judgment day will be better for Tyre, and there it is again, Sidon, than for you. <laughs> These are strong words, man. No wonder they wanted to kill Jesus. Come on, Jesus, we got the list. We only let the people we want on the list, man. They're not getting in the temple. Even Jews that we consider sinners on the outside, the outcasts, they're not allowed to worship with us. They're not on the list. Wow. So why is this interesting? Well, in Jesus' world, the Sidonians were believed to be cursed. The curse resting on them going all the way back to Noah many generations earlier. This is how they saw it. But get this, Jesus couldn't care less. I don't care about your lists. I don't care about the so-called curse that Noah, one of the patriarchs, said. Jesus is really saying, Noah was wrong. Okay. Come on. I'm telling you, you have to follow Jesus here on this. It did, doesn't mean that Noah didn't mean well. Listen, Noah was thousands of years before Jesus. Different culture, different times. A lot has changed. They, they became more aware of you know, social economics and things like that. Now, there was still a lot going on. I mean, empire would crush you. They would rule you. They would overtax you. I mean, this is what they were going through. But they were coming to this place where Jesus is like, let me show you the truth. Throw away the lists. He simply dismisses the history of his people with the Sidonians. Just dismisses it like, yeah, I'm not even going to go there. This is huge. Why? Because he comes to heal that wound, literally healing actual people from Sidon. And then to take it way, way further, he insists that these hated enemy Sidonians are actually in better standing with God 
than the people who believe they have favored status with him. You guys can go home. I mean, can you see this? Now, when I'm, when I'm saying this and preaching this or teaching, however you want to say it, it's even challenging me in my heart. Hmm. How do you see people? Do you see them as sons and daughters? Do you see them as beloved of God? This is serious. According to Jesus, it's better to be a Sidonian than a devoted religious person who thinks that Sidonians are cursed. Come on. That's revolutionary. What if we were to carry that part of the kingdom into here and now? See, religious borders would dissolve. Political aisles would disappear. Are you hearing me? We'd actually see people in such a way that we could sit down and talk and empathize and find out why it is that they're in the situation they're in instead of some random flippant comment about why they shouldn't be in that place. And I'm speaking to myself too. See, the kingdom moves you in a different direction than the indoctrination we've grown up with. I've said this before, but indoctrination is not some religious term. Everyone is indoctrinated. You can grow up in an atheist home and be indoctrinated in their ways of thinking. So Jesus comes on the scene to clear up our thinking, to renew our mind, to get us literally to become born again, to see things differently. Why? So then you can see the kingdom and how it works because he said, it's right here among you. It was built into creation, the kingdom way of right relationship, peace and joy, grace, love, forgiveness. It's right here, right now. But as long as you have the lists, you won't see it. Come on. So what can we learn from the Sidonians? That's really the question. There's a fascinating thing that Jesus says right after the judgment day comment. He goes on to say, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, listen to this, for hiding these things from wise and intelligent people and revealing them to little children. Yes, Father, this is what pleased you. You ever notice how children, they're just pretty much, they're so impressionable, right? I mean, Children aren't born Republican or Democrat. They're not born racist. I mean, this just doesn't happen. That's something they're molded into, right? And I'm not saying that any, anyone's wrong. Listen, vote how you want to vote. I get that. But listen, always put kingdom first. But he says this, you've hidden these things from wise and intelligent people, revealing them to little children in a highly religious culture like the one that Jesus lived in. People held their views and convictions and their, we could say, allegiances with clenched fists. Uh, sound familiar? Closed hands. Stories about who had God's favor and who didn't, who was cursed and who wasn't, held immense power. But according to Jesus, we see it right here. 
God is interested in something else. How open are we to what spirit is doing in this moment? Are we hungry to learn, to grow, to be transformed? Do you want to see things in a brand new way? Because if that's our desire, listen, it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. I believe that God is doing a work in all of us. Can I get an amen? Amen. So here's the question. Should we make judgments about who's in and who's out? Rhetorical. You don't have to answer it out loud. But think about this. Should we make judgments about who's in and who's out? Whenever people did, you know what Jesus did? He quickly and matter-of-factly acted to include whoever had been excluded. And it got the religious people mad. We're in church. We'll say mad. Seething with anger. So what about the curse that was so important that the Jews had to reduce his people to not even being in a relationship with him for so many years? Jesus invites his people to leave that behind. Will you leave that curse idea behind? Will you leave the list behind? So then the question comes full circle. What about us? What animosity, prejudice, judgment, or unforgiveness are we holding on to against another? Maybe, just maybe, Jesus is saying, it's time to let that go. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your grace toward us. We thank you for the incarnation, God in flesh, whom we call Jesus, that he came to really clear things up, to show us the truth about who we are and whose we are, to show us the truth about kingdom and what it looks like to walk kingdom out. Jesus, that's what you did. You came to mend the brokenhearted. You came to heal the sick. You came to bring people out of uh, thought processes that were toxic and wrong. You came to do away with lines of separation between nation and color and political bents and lifestyle to say in the kingdom there are no borders, there's no boundaries, there's no lines. Everyone is welcome, which is a really scary thing because for many of us, we're looking for a way. Give me the rules. Give me the way to be better. How can I be the best I can be? But the truth is, the only way to do that is to discover the truth of who we are. Your sons and your daughters. We're righteous. We're pleasing. We're holy. We're acceptable. For some of us, our actions don't line up with that yet, but you see the best inside us. And it's not that you have to put on Jesus glasses to be okay with us. No, you're okay with us because we are your children. I pray this morning that we would see the truth in this and that our hearts are ever expanding to what it looks like to live out kingdom. 
Will you pray this with me? Just bow your heads, close your eyes, just not for religious reason, but just to focus for a moment and just say this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your great love. Jesus, if there's anything in me, any wrong thought, any wrong idea, any toxicity in my soul, I pray that you would show that to me. And then rather than shame me for that, I invite you to heal me of that because you're the healer. And say this, by an act of my will, I give this to you. Whatever it is, say, I give this to you. Sometimes the best prayer to pray is this. You take it. Say it with me. You take it. Peter tells us the caster cares on him. Why? Because he cares for us. And so we do that this morning by faith, trusting that you got our back. You're bringing healing and restoration to our hearts. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Did you receive that this morning? Man, God loves you all the time. But some of us just don't see it, you know? And we struggle with that because maybe we had a bad day or we made a wrong decision. Listen, we all have welcome to the club. We all make dumb decisions, uh, decisions that have ramifications not just for us but for others. But you got to let that stuff go. Sometimes the hardest thing to do when we walk in this idea of forgiveness is to forgive ourselves. I deal with that. And it just holds on and it holds on and it festers and it turns into bitterness against myself. And our Father's saying, let that stuff go. This isn't helping your life. Just let it go. Amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.